Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Two down, one to go. Stellantis and the UAW agree on a tentative deal. GM, now it's your turn. Today on the show, the National Association of Immigration Judges and the Illinois AFL-CIO. Welcome to the Monday, October 30th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with the Honorable Mimi Sankov, who has served as an immigration judge with the U.S. Department of Justice Executive Office for Immigration Review. She's had that position since 2006, where she has presided over detained and non-detained dockets at the Los Angeles Immigration Court, the Denver Immigration Court and the New York Immigration Court, and that's where she is now. She's also president of the National Association of Immigration Judges. Her website is naij-usa.org. We had uh, Mimi on at least twice on America's Workforce, and there was a problem with uh, the union, which she'll briefly talk about. That's all been rectified, and that happened during the previous administration. But she recently told a U.S. Senate Judiciary panel that an independent, an independent immigration court would help ease a backlog of more than 2 million pending cases because the immigration court system is an arm of the Justice Department, each presidential administration has set an immigration policy. And often those courts are subject to, yes, political interference. Well, in the immigration court system, judges hold former court proceedings to determine whether someone who is a non-citizen should be allowed to remain in the country or be deported. Sankov said in order to alleviate the backlog of immigration court cases, Congress should establish an independent immigration court under Article 1 of the U.S. Constitution. And as of August, this is crazy, there's a backlog of more than 2.6 million pending immigration cases. Now, Congress has created other such entities in the past, independent independent systems like the U.S. tax court that happened back in 1974. So there is precedent for something like this. So she's going to be our first guest. Our second guest on the show is Tim Drea, who's president of the Illinois AFL-CIO. We're talking 855,000 members. And prior to that, he served 12 years as the organization's secretary treasurer. He's been uh, the head of the uh, AFL-CIO since uh, December 5th of 2019. He's a son of a coal miner, followed his father, worked as a coal miner for 11 years. As a coal miner, Tim was a member of Mine Workers Local 9819 and served as recording secretary 
and a member of the Coal Miners Political Action Committee for District 12. After being laid off in 1990, he finished his education using worker displacement funding obtained for coal miners through political action. Then he joined the Food and Commercial Workers. That would be a local 881, the United Food and Commercial Workers, and he's also a veteran of the United States Marine Corps. And I'll tell you, they've been doing a really good job in the state of Illinois when it comes to workers' rights. Number one, paid leave for all in January. They passed a bill creating 40 hours, 40 hours of paid leave for all workers in Illinois. No questions asked. Temporary Worker Fairness and Safety Act. That was passed in the last session. Huge win for labor unions and worker centers. It aims to prevent what they call permatemping when an employer keeps a temp worker on indefinitely. Those of you listening know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, uh, this is just a temporary job. Eventually, you'll become full-time. Then a year goes by, then two years go by, three years go by. Well, that's going to end in the state of Illinois. The other issue that Tim is going to talk about is the fact that Illinois joins a long list of states outlawing wage theft. This is an issue that is rampant, especially in the trades, especially in uh, like the restaurant industry. This is a bill, HB 1122, one of the top priorities of the state AFL-CIO, the Senate The state General Assembly passed it 68 to 38, and the state Senate agreed 35 to 20, and it is effective next July 1. And lastly, they're battling an anti-labor business coalition trying to repeal a law which the Illinois AFL-CIO helped run for the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. The bill compensated auto techs for the full amount of their labor, and now there are rumors that will be introduced into the General Assembly when they go back for the second week of veto session, which is going to be on November 7th. So they're encouraging all affiliated unions to have their members to call their lawmakers to tell them to vote no on anything that would roll that legislation back. So lots going on, most of it good. In the state of Illinois, thanks to the Illinois State Labor Federation. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. Stellantis and the UAW have reached a tentative labor contract agreement. This happened on Saturday. That includes a 25% raise for workers over the life of the contract. And, and a commitment to revive the idled Belvedere assembly plant in Illinois and nearly $19 billion in new U.S. investments. The UAW said roughly 14,000 striking workers will return to the job as the tentative contract goes to a vote of Stellantis union leaders Thursday in Detroit. That's followed by rank-and-file members. Sean Fain said once again, We have achieved what just weeks ago we were told was impossible. At Stellantis in particular, we have not only secured a record contract, we have begun to turn the tide in the war on the American working class. Now, the UAW said Stellantis wanted to slash 5,000 jobs and close its Trenton 
engine facility in Michigan and its Toledo machining plant in the state of Ohio. Union was able to save both sites, secure commitments to reopen Belvedere, and get the company to add 5,000 jobs over the course of the contract. Fain said Stellantis put 103% more on the table since the strike began September 15th. Today, as we announce that we have reached a tentative agreement with the UAW on a new labor contract, I would like to thank all the negotiating teams who worked tirelessly for many weeks to get this point. That comment from Mark Stewart, who is the Stellantis North America Chief Operating Officer. He went on to say, we look forward to welcoming our 43,000 employees back to work and resuming operations to serve our customers. UAW leaders in a video Saturday night said Stellantis promised to add mid-sized truck production on two shifts at Belvedere, which, by the way, has been idle since February. They also said the company plans to add more than 1,000 jobs at a new battery plant there. Rich Boyer is a VP at the UAW. Rich said, we have saved Belvedere. Eight months ago, Stellantis idled the Belvedere assembly plant, putting 1,200 of our members on the street. From the strength of our strike, we're bringing back those jobs and more. UAW said the agreement follows the pattern set by the tentative deal reached with Ford. The tentative deal gives 25% wage increases to members through April of 2028. And when you combine the restored cost of living adjustments, union said top wages will rise 33%, compounded to more than $42 an hour. Starting wages which are around 18 bucks an hour today, will increase by 67% compounded with estimated cost of living adjustments to more than $30 an hour. The lowest paid workers at Stellantis, temporary workers, will see a raise of more than 165% over the life of the agreement. Some workers at Mopar will uh, receive an immediate 76% increase upon ratification. Sean Fain said thousands of temporary workers will be converted to full-time status upon ratification and that no worker will remain in temporary status for more than nine months after ratification. By the way, uh, temp workers currently make up about 12% of Stellantis's U.S. workforce, which is the most among the Detroit Big Three. The deal also includes 401k and pension enhancements for current workers and retirees. It includes the right to strike over plant closures and the right to strike over product and investment commitments, which the union says is a first. We truly believe that we got every penny possible out of this company, said Sean. We left nothing on the table. The strike, which remains ongoing at General Motors, threw a wrench into Stellantis's parts operations and halted production of key models like the Ram 1500 and the Jeep Wrangler. More than 14,000 workers picketed in the targeted stand-up strike against Stellantis at the Toledo Assembly Plant in Ohio, which builds the Wrangler and Jeep Gladiator mid-size pickup. Sterling Heights Assembly in Michigan that produces the Ram 1500 
and 20 Mopar parts distribution centers across the U.S. So, again, two down, one to go. And uh, in his comments on Saturday night, because GM has not signed on yet, they're striking another GM plant. So hats off to Sean Fain and the team at the UAW for what they were able to accomplish here in the last couple of weeks. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, the Immigration Judges Union and what they want to do in Washington with regard to an independent immigration court. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's liuna.org. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit SurveyAndBalladSystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. Hi, this is Liz Schuler, president of the AFL-CIO, and I am a huge fan of Flash and America's Workforce radio and podcast. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. Now... Back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Let's go to the state of New York right now. Joining us on our live line is Judge Mimi Sankov. She is an immigration judge. She's also president of the National Association of Immigration Judges, a voluntary organization of United States immigration judges. It's also 
the recognized representative of immigration judges for collective bargaining. Their mission to promote independence and enhance the professionalism, dignity and efficiency of immigration courts. And that's what we're going to talk about on the show right now, the efficiency of the immigration courts, because right now there is a huge backlog, a huge backlog. And Judge Sankov has an idea. Let's create an independent court. And she's been on the uh, the show before because there was some political interference. And Judge Sankov, welcome back to the show. I, I guess they wanted, this is the previous administration, they wanted to decertify this union. I was under the assumption that that was over with, but they're still messing with that. Is that correct? We are officially decertified still as of today. And so I have to push back and, and unfortunately say we're not the collective, we're not the recognized collective bargaining unit right now for the immigration judges. We hope to change that and to regain our status in the coming months. We are waiting for Congress to appoint the third member of the Federal Labor Relations Authority. And once that piece of the puzzle is put in place, then we'll be able to repetition the FLRA so that we can get recertified. So let me ask you this. Why is this taking so long? Obviously, the judges want to be recertified, correct? We do, and we have all of our union cards filled out and ready to file, <clears throat> but we have to wait until... We have to wait until the um, Congress appoints the third member to the um, Federal Labor Relations Authority. Oh, okay. So that's the problem. Yeah, there's a lot of things that need to be fixed. Uh, Look at We have a labor secretary that's an acting labor secretary right now because there's a number of people that don't like her. And uh, there's an, a number of federal judge positions that haven't been approved yet. But uh, that's so that's so sad. But let's talk about what's going on with uh, immigration courts. As of August, there's a backlog of more than 2.6 million pending immigration cases. Now, you've been on the court since, I was reading earlier, 2006. Has this just, like, ballooned in the last couple of years? Can uh, Can you speak to that? It has been growing this backlog has been growing exponentially now for a few years, and we have never had um, a backlog as extensive as it is right now. So I'd say going back about um, maybe five years or so ago, we were pushing toward maybe a million cases in the backlog, and now following the pandemic and over the past you know year or so, we're really pushing up to you know, 2.9 million cases. So it, it's shocking. I do a, I do a uh, you know, a, a reporting, and I, I say we're at 2.6. And I look closely, and I say, oh, gosh, that was last month. Now we're closer to 2.7. And um, the, the numbers are shocking. You uh, testified recently before the U.S. Senate Judiciary Panel on this. What kind of reaction did you get from the, from the panel when you, when you showed up to testify? true respect for the hard work that the immigration judges are doing, um, sincere concern about the ability to make do with as little in terms of resources that we actually do need for such a large volume of work, and some consensus that we need to make changes, that we need to um, 
uh, Senator Padilla even mentioned the uh, um, independent Article One immigration court would be um, a good solution. So we're very hopeful that you know what we'll see as an outgrowth from um, this sort of you know opportunity to look at due process that's being provided at the court and the challenges currently um, facing the court will be addressed by Congress, hopefully. So right now, you're under the arm of the U.S. Justice Department. How, how is that tying you up? How is that holding you back in, in, in creating this backlog of cases? The, um, the fact that we are housed within the Department of Justice creates several problems. Number one, we are a court in a law enforcement agency. So that means that law, law enforcement priorities um, get funded before um, non-law enforcement priorities in a sense. It also means that the political priorities of each administration shift and so funding can get diverted. Um, the way in which our resources are deployed to work on specific types of cases can be changed based on whoever is the you know, authority and power at the time. And all of this has an impact on our ability to complete our, our casework. We call it the problem of docket shuffling and the problem of politicization in the immigration courts leading to this growing backlog. So when you completed your, your Senate testimony recently, did they give you any indication that they may move in the right direction to create like an independent immigration court? Did, did that come up in the conversation? They, the sense was that we need, um, I think everybody who either testified or asked questions felt that something needed to be done to sort of address uh, this concerns uh, in terms of volume. And as to what Congress will decide to do, it's anybody's guess. Um, it's, a it's a challenging time for legislators on Capitol Hill, especially when you talk about immigration changes. And I, I watch it in the same way that you do, hoping that we'll see some change. Judge Sankov, th there is precedent for what we're talking about here. I was reading earlier that Congress created the U.S. Tax Court, this goes back to 1974, which is independent from the executive branch. Now, did that come up in the testimony before the Senate Judiciary Panel? I mean, we're, we're not creating something that's outrageous here. We have precedent. Did that, did that come up? It, it has come up, and we, could, we certainly identified that in written documents that had been submitted as well, our written testimony. Um, you know, when you're, when you're handling questions of the senators, you really have to focus on what they are asking of you. So in terms of the level of detail as to how viable an Article I court um, would be, we didn't get into as much detail as I would have liked, but it certainly was discussed. And the value of it um, was presented in by not only me, by um, Mr. McKinney, who was representing the American Immigration Lawyers Association. So where do we go from here? You, you had this uh, Senate Judiciary Panel. What's the next step on this? Is, is, is there something that we can call attention to that maybe we can uh, lobby some of our representatives and say, hey, this needs to be done? Yes. What the hope is is that the 
bill that had been previously introduced in, in the last Congress to create an independent Article I immigration court will be reintroduced this term in both the Senate and the House. And the real goal is to have bipartisan support for that bill. We want to have a both a Democrat and Republican co-sponsors for the bill so that it it gains more widespread acceptance and has a real chance of um, going through the legislative process. We know that uh, Article One is a good government solution, and it will really do a lot to help fix the challenges that are currently facing the court. I think it's fair to say, will it fix everything? And the answer can be no. Immigration is an entire, it's a very complex um, system that needs to be addressed from a lot of different perspectives. But one thing that can be done to address this backlog is to ensure that we create independence so we can avoid the docket shuffling and the political prioritization that has um, created extensive delays and is a major component of this backlog that we see today. Keep the politics out of it. Exactly. So right now, one more question before we go here. We're at, uh, as you indicated, 2.7 million cases before the, before the judges. And, and isn't there like 500 immigration judges in the country? Isn't that the number right now? We're even up to 700 now, and they did oh, just are. hire another. Yep, we're up to uh, over 700. And I would say that uh, President Biden, in his request for funding to Congress, just requested hundreds of new immigration judge teams be um, appropriated for the coming year. Well, that's good. At least we're getting more judges there. But right now, with uh, with the amount of judges that you have and this backlog of cases, when there is someone that has to appear before an immigration court, how long does it take for that process right now? It's got to be pretty cumbersome, right? It's, it is taking a few years. Um, the challenge, I'd say, is that people initially get placed on a master calendar docket, and, and oftentimes they don't have representation yet. So there's oftentimes a another continuance that needs to take place so that they can seek representation. And oftentimes they're financially strapped. It's difficult to find the resources to pay for representation, so they're seeking pro bono. And the pro bono providers are truly caught, um, you know, in so much difficulty trying to deal with the 2.9 million cases themselves. So it is a challenge for the parties that are seeking representation, for the attorneys themselves and the pro bono providers. Judge Mimi Sanko, president of the National Association of Immigration Judges. Judge Sanko, please keep in touch with us on this issue. I want to once again repeat the website. It's naij-usa.org, naij-usa.org, the need for an independent immigration court in the United States. All right, we'll leave it on that note. Judge Mimi Sankoff, president of the National Association of Immigration Judges website is naij-usa.org. Judge Sankoff, thank you so much for your time. Good luck to you, and please keep in touch with us on this issue, okay? Thank you so much. We'll definitely do so. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Tim Drea is president of the Illinois AFL-CIO. Lots of good things happening in Illinois. He'll talk about them next. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. 
The men and women of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, LIUNA members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by LIUNA at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the U.S., US Canada, Canada, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers. Standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. When you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, ulagency.org, is a website you want to go to. In fact, on Wednesday, we're going to be checking in with the executive director of the ULA, and that would be Dave Meganhart. Right now, let's go to Springfield, Illinois, and join Tim Dre. Tim is the president of the Illinois AFL-CIO, I-L-A-F-L-C-I-O, well, actually, AFL-CIO, dot org is their website and i'll tell you a lot of good things happening in the state of illinois when you get the right people in office i say this on the show all the time when you get the right people in office and you lobby them to what workers want and need good things happen tim dre welcome back to america's workforce i've been seeing a couple of stories come out of your state and i said you know we got to get tim on on the show because i know i know the labor fed over there had a huge role so uh talk to me a little bit about let, let's get a little background i guess he paid leave for all temporary worker safety and fairness we got uh, laws against wage theft you took over in 2019 was this part of the game plan to say hey you know what we got to get we got to get some good things done was that part of your agenda as president well, <laughs> that, that you're too kind, but certainly, um, you know, we had, when we took, it was right after Bruce Rauner and who was wanting to do a lot of takeaways. He kept wanting to cut labor rights. So when um, we elected um, 
Governor Pritzker had a Democratic uh, labor-friendly House and Senate. We all fought together, our executive board and the Illinois AFL-CL got together and said, we cannot let this happen again. Let's go on the offensive and get everything that we can while we can. That's the way it works. So what was first on the agenda here? Because you got a couple of pieces of legislation, but what was the priority? <laughs> well, first of all, I guess, you know, we have Secretary uh, Treasurer Pat Devaney, a firefighter, and I came in, and then COVID hit. So one of the first things that we wanted to do was hit the, the paid leave for all. With th- that bill had been out there floating around for a couple years, but after COVID, the, the importance of that bill was so much more important. So um, we started on paid leave for all, where every worker in the state um, can earn up to one hour for every 40 hours worked. Um, a maximum for a 40-hour worker, full-time worker, get uh, five days per year and take that for any reason. So one of the big things on that bill was we wanted to be able to take it for any reason. Uh, you know, a lot of times people say, I'm sick, but they're not really sick. They want to go to their kid's uh, uh, first grade graduation. And so, you know, I put a picture on Facebook. The employer says, oh, my God, you lied to me and disciplined. We said, no, no reason, any reason, any reason at all a person can take off if they've earned that time. And uh, it's just a, just a great law. It goes into effect on January 1st. Uh, it's um, the there. We are in session right now. Um, what we call our annual veto uh, fall veto session and employers from all over the place are coming in and saying, we want out, we want out. And we're really holding off right now and saying nobody out, everybody in, nobody out is kind of our motto. So in January, this bill goes into effect and it creates 40 hours of paid leave for all workers in Illinois. No questions asked. That, that, that's no that's great. That's, I love that. I see one of the groups involved, Women Employed, which has been around, my gosh, 50, 50 plus years. They were pretty much uh, pushing this. So I take it you worked yeah. with them on it? Yeah, exactly. You know, we have people in some of these, you know, retail environments and and uh, uh, even in the trades. And you know, moms want to take their kids to the doctor, or or like I say, they want to uh, uh, they want to go to the, the first grade graduation. Employers were saying worker be fired, and and uh, working with a coalition like Women Employed was very very helpful. You know, uh, we are. Uh, 14, 15% unionized. So, you know, we're fighting for the other 85% of workers too, and, and women and retail, but domestic workers, um, you know, there's a lot of people that, that don't have the benefit of the union contract, but we certainly want to help those, those workers as well. That's great. So Tim, let me ask you another question here. Um, when this bill came up and you, you know, there's, there's a, a number of politicians that say, no, let let the private sector handle this, uh, and I'm sure they got vocal. Can you uh, can you talk about that? Did that happen in the legislature when this bill came? Oh, up? sure, uh, every day. To let the private sector handle it, but it, you know, it. Uh, you have to just say, well, you know, you get it, don't you? <laughs> you know, it's like you ever have not you know legislators and things not have um, sick leave. So it's just. 
that all workers, you know, a lot of workers have it in the workplace, but not all workers. And it was just a matter of saying everybody deserves it. You know, every, again, everybody in, nobody out. So that was, we just have to go to the conscience of legislators and, and officials and even, you know, our opposition, uh, um, yeah, lobbying groups and just say, well, you have it, don't you? And they, you know, start getting tongue tied and well, uh, yeah, but we don't want anybody else to have it. That's not a good <laughs> argument to use. <laughs> right. So it, it, it's like the politician that wants to cut social security and many of them, well, they have a separate retirement system, so they're not affected by that. You know, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the temp worker fairness and safety act. And, and Tim, uh, I know there's a lot of workers out there that are, are hired as temps with the promise that well, eventually someday they're going to become permanent workers. But maybe one or two or three years past, they're still temporary workers. In fact, we've seen that in the, in the auto industry. I mean, Stellantis, for one, which they just worked out a new deal with the UAW, they were pushing hard on making sure that those temp workers were elevated to full-time status. So what's uh, what's this legislation all about? And how effective do you think it can be? Well, we we are very, very hopeful that this is a, a game changer in the temp in, industry. Uh, three things that really, at, at what we really pushed for in this bill was, you know, the end of perma temps. You know, we had people, heard stories of people that were working 10, 15 years as a temporary worker. And so uh, nicknamed permatemps, that was one. So we, we have equal pay after 90 days of doing a job. They get paid the same wage as the lowest paid person doing the same job. Equal pay for equal work, basic tenant of labor. You know, second of all, nameless, voiceless immigrant uh, uh, workforce. They had little, little voice. Uh, no protections, even though they could make a complaint to the Department of Labor, Illinois Department of Labor. As soon as they did, their name was out there. So we have a third-party intervener that can make uh, um, uh, complaints to the Department of Labor for workplace violations. And the third thing um, it was huge for us was if there's a, a work dispute, the worker needs to be informed there's a work dispute of where they're sending that worker prior to leaving staffing agency. So very, very important. You know, we had workers that would show up and there's a pickup line and, and it's like, I, you know, could be your, your cousin could be on that pickup line and you have to cross that pickup line. And so they have to be informed before they leave. Three very, very big uh, items for, for labor in that bill. And I see that they have to be picked up after 90 days on the job as full time. Was that, was that part of the original legislation to go to 90 days? Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, the 90 days was, again, to stop the, the permatemps, you know, that, that uh, you know, 90 days, certainly you can learn a job in 90 days, especially, you know, working in a, in a poultry or retail or any environment, warehouse environment, 90 days you learn the job. So you should be paid equally. And, uh, you know, with the, low, the, the wage of the lowest paid worker and, and uh, it just, uh, again, you know, we had people 10, 15 years being paid uh, significantly less, two, three dollars, four dollars an hour less than somebody who uh, who was uh, a, a full time permanent person in the same facility, and not getting any benefits on top and of that. Not now, is this benefits right? Is this law? Is it becoming law? Is it already law in Illinois? No, it, it'll become law uh, next. Uh, well, it is. 
some of the provisions are uh, were effective in August of this year. Uh, the 90 days um, start the clock starts at November 2nd uh, of this year. So, um, and there's some legislation to extend that a little bit, but uh, uh, we uh, it just it just makes sense again equal pay for equal work. You know that's kind of where we're at right now. Is that if you do the work, you ought to get the pay. Amen to that, brother. Amen to that. Tim Dre joining us on our live line today is president of the Illinois AFL-CIO website is ilafl-cio.org. More good things to come. Illinois joining a number of states outlawing wage theft. We'll talk about that and more right after this. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as healthcare and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Layuna. Find out what it takes for Layuna to keep America running at Layuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Waterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwaterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SPS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. Hey, this is Sean McGarvey, and I'm president of North America's Building Trades Unions, and I'm a proud listener of America's Workforce. I love this podcast. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Let's go back to Springfield, Illinois, and rejoin Tim Dre. Tim is the president of the Illinois AFL-CIO he got that appointment back in 2019, then elected president a year after that. We're talking 855,000 statewide members there. 
also the son of a coal miner. This is interesting. We're talking off the air. So, so your dad was a coal miner. You followed his footsteps, which was, you know, good pay, good pay. And then you go to the food and commercial workers, which is really not good pay in uh, when it comes to that industry. So you got an interesting perspective. By the way, Tim has been involved in organized labor since 1979. And I want to salute you, sir, as a veteran. He's a veteran of the U.S. Marine Corps. we got Veterans Day coming up. So thank you for your service in so many ways, <laughs> serving, serving our country and obviously serving workers here. So let's talk about this wage theft bill here because, and we do a lot with the trades. Oh my gosh. And we, this is rampant when it comes to uh, trades, especially for uh, some workers, they bring them up to the South. They just, Oh yeah, we'll pay you under the table. You know, we, we hear it all the time. So explain to me what, uh, what happened with the state of Illinois with regard to, I mean, outlawing wage theft. There's, that's a mouthful. What are you, what are you going to do here, Tim? <laughs> well, you know, and, and this is, this is uh, one of the more, you know, crazy issues that we work on. You know, if in a retail environment, we prosecute shoplifters, you know, if people steal property at a construction site, you know, the contractor wants to uh, take them, uh, prosecute to the full extent of the law, but it's okay to steal wages. That, that's, that's different, guys. You know, so, <laughs> yeah, right. you know, when you think about it, yeah. So, it's crazy. So, what we've really worked on wage theft. Almost every year there's there's a wage theft going on, uh, Bill, because there's, it's so prevalent out there, right? And so, um, and, and once they're caught, you know, we certainly, we've increased penalties. Um, you know, we had, to, unbelievably, you have to uh, do bills that, Restaurants cannot keep tips. You know, they have to give the tips that people give. You have to give them to the workers. Uh, the carpenters did a, a big bill and, and uh, a few years in 2022 um, that, uh, um, you know, prevents sub, uh, wage theft from the subcontractors. They would go bankrupt and say, well, you know, well, we don't have the money to pay. And so did a great, great job uh, of making sure that uh, these subcontractors Contractors are paying, make the contractor liable, and uh, that you know. So, you know, contractors hire better subs, <laughs> and uh, and then um, you know we extended the amount of time uh, just uh, this year that um, Department of Labor can uh, uh, um, take care of workers who've been subject to wage theft. So, um, again, it's one of those issues that you just have to go to the conscience of legislators and, and tell them what I just told you about, you know. Wage theft is theft of just like stealing something, uh, burglary or anything else. It's thefts taking something. You sell your time, you should get paid for it and mm-hmm. and be compensated fairly and on time. So, um, you know, freelance workers, again, not necessarily union members, but, uh, you know, want to make sure that they, they were protected uh, with written contracts and things like that, a, a, a paper trail so that they can be compensated fairly. So let's talk about enforcement here and fines. And I'm reading this increases the fines for wage theft, and, and I know the fines for wage theft have been ridiculously low. Do we have some numbers here we can throw out here, Tim? Um, well, the monthly penalty on 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 uh, some of the wage theft went from two percent to five percent uh, of the of the of the um, 
settlement, which is, you know, it, it's a step in the right direction. And, uh, you know, so we, uh, you know, we just wanted to make sure that um, workers, you know, there's a penalty, a, a true penalty for, for stealing wages besides just making the worker whole. So um, it just uh, makes sense that, uh, like anything else, that there, there would be a penalty for being found guilty. Yeah. Is uh, is it too much to ask that they go to jail? <laughs> did, did that come up in the in the legislative <laughs> session? To, yeah, yeah. That, well, they they have in Illinois they have what they call a business offense, and I I don't remember, but it's uh, uh, it's it's like a, a misdemeanor. <laughs> you know, it's pretty low. So yeah, um, it, yeah, yeah. So it uh, yeah, but that that's true. I mean, some of these you know places steal millions of dollars uh, of wages just by you know you know think about all the people that work off the clock for a few a few minutes a day it all adds up you know and oh, yeah. uh, you know we're selling we are selling people that go to work sell their most precious commodity which is time so they need to make sure they're compensated fairly oh yeah yeah and a, a lot of low wage earners are victims of wage theft it's so sad it's yeah. so sad it's so, sad that they're making low wages and on top of it the boss is stealing their wages. So, right. All, all right, let's move on. We got uh, a legislation here we want to call attention to, and it involves the uh, the machinists, especially the uh, auto techs. Uh, apparently, you had good legislation. Now they're trying to eliminate that or repeal it. Why don't you explain what's going on here, Tim? Well, uh, sure. That th- this is a, a a very complicated issue, but you know mechanics. Prior to 2021, uh, or January 1st of 2022, in Illinois and, and most of the country, um, mechanics are there are two rates that mechanics, auto mechanics, get paid. They get paid if they work on a car under warranty. They, they there is a, a set amount, like for a water pump, uh, two hours to work for, on a to replace a water pump for a car under warranty. But if you go in there, Ed, as a customer and you need your water pump replaced, uh, you know, it might be two and a half hours. There's a book uh, there's that that's used for auto repair. So we said, again, here we go back to equal pay for equal work. It doesn't matter if a car's got 35,000 miles on it or 37,000 miles on it, that water pump ought to be paid, uh, that manufacturer should re- pay the same amount that the customer pays. So we, we eliminated the manufacturer's book for reimbursement for auto repairs. Um, auto, the um, the uh, manufacturers said, oh my God, this is costing us millions of dollars, although they're making hundreds of millions of dollars in profit. And so we uh, we eliminated that. They want to come back now that, you know, the, you know companies are want to expand. We're getting into electric vehicles. They want to do uh, um, um, uh, battery plants and things like that around the state. And we are really afraid that they will, you know, in, in any economic development legislation that's put forth to put a battery plant in Illinois, that the governor and legislature will just say, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll give this as a carrot to a manufacturer. We'll go back to the old way of doing things. And so we're making sure. Um, you know, we're, we haven't seen any language. We haven't done anything like that, but we're wanting to, we don't want to see any language on this. So we are mounting a campaign to 
inform legislators that, you know, hey, we want a battery plant, we want to build it, we want it built union, we want it uh, uh, staffed union, we want all this, but we don't want to do it on the backs of auto mechanics and kept their pay to do so. So we are we are just making sure that uh, we're being very, very vigilant uh, to make sure that mechanics pay is protected in any economic development package for battery plants. Well, Tim, just let me inform you that you got a friend here in America's workforce. So if there's, I know you got a campaign, you're working with the uh, Chicago Federation of Labor on a digital campaign. And uh, we've, we've got some punch here on America's workforce. We, uh, we're in the top 1% of all podcasts. So if there's any messaging that you, yeah. that you want to relay, make sure you send it to us. Okay. Can we, can we do that? We sure will. Thank you. Okay. Anytime. You know, we got about a minute and a half left. You got to feel pretty good. I mean, you've been involved in organized labor since 1979. And what was it? Two years after Reagan fired the air traffic controllers, send that message to so many CEOs that it's okay to mess around with workers. But the last year and with all the strikes and I mean, UPS contract, look what's going on with the UAW as a union leader, Mr. Dre, you got to feel pretty good right now. Yeah, and, and, and we were very, very happy to, to pass uh, the uh, Workers' Rights Amendment in uh, 2022. Uh, you know, 58% of the uh, voters in Illinois said, yes, workers deserve a voice on the, on the, um, in the workplace, and we are not going to become a right-to-work state, and we were very, very fortunate to pass a constitutional amendment banning right-to-work in Illinois and giving all workers rights on the job. And so it, it's a great time to be in labor. I am, I am like emboldened to see young people coming in, uh, baristas and, and everybody saying, no, we want more. And that's what unions do. We want more. We get more. We're going to keep working, pushing hard. And I am looking forward to one day hand the baton to younger workers and take this movement even farther. There you go, brother. I love it. Tim Dre, president of the Illinois AFL-CIO. That website, again, do check it out, ilafl-cio.org. You take care. Keep doing the great things over there in Illinois. Maybe it'll spread some of that to Ohio. Okay, brother? <laughs> I'd love to. Thank you. All right. All right. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up tomorrow, dairy workers dying in Wisconsin. We'll talk about that. And we have the International Brotherhood of Teamsters Airline Division joining us. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.